book that's about an early version of a battle that America is still fighting. The battle for multiracial interfaith democracy against white supremacy. Joining us this morning, Samuel G. Friedman, the author of Into the Bright Sunshine, Young Hubert Humphrey, and the Fight for Civil Rights. Good morning to you. Why does this book uh, matter right now, Samuel? First of all, good morning to both of you. It's an honor to be with you. The book matters because, as you were just saying, the battle that Hubert Humphrey and uh, his allies, including people like Cecil Newman here in Minneapolis and A. Philip Randolph nationally, the battle they were fighting was about what democracy in America is supposed to look like. Does it count everybody in, or is this just going to be a country for white Christians? And he won a big part of that battle in 1948 by getting the Democratic Party to endorse civil rights for the first time. But we're reminded, of course, every day that that battle has reemerged for us in this generation. Hmm. So where was the turning point for Humphrey specifically? When did he realize he must embrace equality as a central policy, Samuel? That's a, that's a great question. Now, Humphrey grows up in these two very vanilla places, as George Clinton might have put it, in you know small town South Dakota and then in Minneapolis, going to school here in the 1930s. And then he goes to graduate school in Baton Rouge at Louisiana State University in 1939. And the year he spends there changes his whole political view. That really changes his moral vision, too, because he's plunged into a Jim Crow society. He sees structural inequality every single day. It's also the place where he gets to know, very importantly, a particular professor who is a part Jewish professor who opposed the Nazis and was exiled from Germany as a result and, you know, teaches in the class Humphrey takes with him about how democracies can be turned into dictatorships. And a lot of people would have had Humphrey's experience in LSU and come back uh, north of the Mason-Dixon line and said, okay, well, now it's all better in the north. To his credit, what Humphrey realized is that there's down south and there's up south, and there's, you know, de jure segregation and de facto segregation, and suddenly his eyes were opened to what it was here in Minneapolis. And as soon as he gets here in 1940, he begins to take on those issues. Hmm. So you spent a lot of time talking about Humphrey's younger years before he entered politics. Uh, you talked about his time in Minneapolis and Baton Rouge. Uh, and so looking back on his later successes, where were the influences of what were some of the influences of those places the most visible? Right. Well, um, the fact that he was so committed to racial equality, first of all, starting as mayor in Minneapolis, remember, when he's running first in 1943 and narrowly losing, and then 1945 when he wins, and he's really appealing to black and Jewish voters in Minneapolis. Collectively, those communities, which were clustered mostly on the north side, make up maybe 3% of the whole population of the city. It's not like it's a winning strategy to you know champion their cause, but Humphrey felt that it was the right thing to do. And when he becomes mayor in 45, he does a couple of really significant things. He pushes through one of the most important fair employment laws in the whole country, which actually becomes a model decades later for the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission at the federal level. He um, really tries to take on police brutality in, in the city in a major way and to transform the police force. And I'd say the one big unfinished uh, agenda 
or unfinished part of his agenda, as we've seen tragically with the murder of George Floyd, is that Humphrey moved into national politics so fast he never got to complete his effort to reform the police force here. And then lastly, and this is kind of amazing, he brings in two sociologists from HBCUs, from specifically from Fisk in Nashville, to lead a survey of racism and anti-Semitism and also anti-Japanese and anti-American Indian attitudes in Minneapolis. And he forces the city to study itself. And he forces the people who were kind of the complacent liberals here, who thought everything was just okie-dokie, to face how entrenched forms of bigotry were in this city. And it really is a transformation of the way Minneapolis views itself. So those were the big takeaways locally. And then in 1948, as I said, the Democratic Party up to that point had never endorsed civil rights. It had tried to hold within its coalition Southern segregationists, the so-called Dixiecrats, and over and against Harry Truman's uh, desire to dodge the issue, Humphrey persuades the Democratic Convention to embrace civil rights. And as a result of that, literally two weeks later, Harry Truman desegregates the armed forces and desegregates the federal workforce. And then if you flash forward another 16 years from there, that's when Humphrey in the Senate and Lyndon Johnson as president, and with Dr. King and the freedom movement doing mass mobilization on the, <clears throat> on the outside, push through the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, the Fair Housing Act. So, you know, the line is very, very clear from Minneapolis to the convention to the national level and to the battles we're still engaged in today. Hmm. Wow. Samuel G. Friedman, author of Young Hubert Humphrey and the Fight for Civil Rights, fast forwarding politics, uh, saying that he was a diminished figure. More than once he ran for president, he lost, he was vilified by the left. Do we miss? That's right. I mean, you. Mm-hmm. Is there somebody you see today oh. on the on the platform who reminds you of Humphrey as we start to wind up our conversation this morning? That, that's a great question. I mean, first of all, when Barack Obama gave his breakthrough speech at the 2004 Democratic Convention, that was probably the most important convention speech by a young up, up and comer since Humphrey in '48. I mean, I think for sort of Humphrey's, you know, what he called the happy warrior idea and his commitment to social issues, I think that, you know, Cory Booker always reminds me a lot of Humphrey. And I think, you know, because Amy Klobuchar comes out of his state, um, I think she's part of that lineage. And I think locally, someone like Keith Ellison absolutely is, to me, is part of the Humphrey tradition, or the, the tradition of the best of Humphrey, not the Humphrey who made the terrible mistake of um, supporting the Vietnam War. So I'd name check those three. All right. The name of the book, again, uh, we just want to hear you say it. I, I've, I've seen the interviews, okay. but I'd love to hear you say the name of your book. Into the Thank book. you. Go ahead. Thank you. It is The book is Into the Bright Sunshine, Young Hubert Humphrey, and the Fight for Civil Rights. All right. It's due out July 14th. This year, uh, next week, actually, Sam. Actually, see, it's out on. That's the anniversary of his speech. Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. So it's out on newsstands right now. Yes, yes. And if anyone wants to come out to Makers and Quinn on the night of uh, July 24th, I'll be there. All right, Samuel Friedman. We can't thank you enough for stopping in and sharing some time with Chantel and I and talking about your brand new book. Thank you for being with us. 